Welcome to the Hope Elam Podcast. We are a diverse church in the heart of Des Moines, seeking to bring God's kingdom as we live more like Jesus. We hope that what you're about to hear points you to Jesus Christ. Know that we're praying for you and look forward to connecting with you soon. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I think I have your attention now. If I didn't, now I do. Good morning. We're glad that you're here. There is a reason that that stopped you in your tracks and whatever you were doing, you kind of popped up and paid attention. There's a reason that that theme, that music, maybe that story, whether you're a Star Wars fan or not, drops you into the middle of a story that is much bigger than you. I don't know what story you walked in here with this morning, but I show you that and I tell you that to tell you this. You are indeed living in a much greater story. Something even greater than getting dropped into the middle of a galactic battle between good and evil. You are living in a story of love and war and beauty and romance and adventure, and it is God's story. You are a part of something this morning much bigger than you. That is what the kids were trying to convey. That is what Revelation is trying to convey. And that is what the writer of Ecclesiastes is telling us as well. It's not just Star Wars. It's in all the movies that we love. Let's read it together from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Let's read it nice and loud. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. You were created For eternity. Eternity is written on your heart. You were created to live forever. And it's not just Star Wars, it's in all the the movies that we love. There's a reason that we love them. Another reason is that you think about it Star Wars, for one, is a world at war. There's light versus darkness, there's good versus evil, there's hopes and fears and disappointments and pain and turmoil and all of that. Sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? There's a reason that we love those stories is because you're living in one. Except it's not fake, it's not Hollywood, it's real. If you think about it, the theme of Star Wars is a group of people that are searching for hope, right? Help us, Obi-Wan, you're our only hope. Help us, Obi-Wan, you're our only hope. And if you realize it or not, we are exactly the same. We are people searching for hope. If you're here this morning, say hope. hope. Online people, with the people here this morning, everybody say hope. 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 How's your uh, hope-o-meter this morning? If I had a measuring stick up here, a way to, to measure how much hope you had in your life, is it, is it the top? Is it filled to the brim? Are you full of hope? Or is there some disappointment in your life? Is there anger? Is there bitterness? Is there sadness or grief that's caused that level of hope to dip down maybe halfway or maybe you're just depleted and you're running on empty this morning? How much hope do you have? We have to define that word hope because we use that word hope for a lot of different things. Some of you are saying, I hope that I get what I want for Christmas or whatever that is. For me, as a Hawkeye fan, I hope that we could score one touchdown a game. I... 
I hope that somehow Caitlin Clark could play for the men's team or something like that. I, I have my hopes and you have your hopes, right? But those are a little trivial hopes compared to maybe what's resting on each of your hearts this morning and those of you worshiping with us wherever you are online. You hope that your loved one will be able to make it home for Christmas. I hope for a positive diagnosis as we're going in to see the doctor. We hope for a positive pregnancy test because we've been waiting and waiting and waiting and hoping and hoping. I'm hoping for a job because I just got to get by this month to pay the bills. We hope for all sorts of things and every single one of us has different stories. We are people in need of hope and we live in a world where it's easy to lose hope. We live in a world where it's easy to be downtrodden and lose heart. We sing that song, help me out, it's the most wonderful time of the year, right? Not for everybody. You're like, that's a great song, but that's not the reality of my life. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way, he says this, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Some of you are here this morning and you're ready to give up hope. Some of you are here this morning and you've lost heart because life is so hard. Can we just admit that? Could Hope Elam be a place where it's, you're able to come even on Christmas, even during this season of Advent and say, it's okay to not be okay? I don't have a ton of hope today. I've lost heart. Well, then you came to the right place. Amen? We're really glad that you're here because there's some good news. We keep our eyes on Jesus. How do we not lose heart? How do we regain our hope again? Two things that I want to propose to you this morning. Number one, that we remember who is writing our story. And secondly, we remember how that story ends. We remember who is writing our story that all of us are a part of. And number two, we remember how that story ends. And for that, we go to the book of Revelation. If you have your Bibles or your Bible app on your phone, turn to Revelation chapter 11 is where we're going to be today. When the preaching schedule came out and I saw Revelation chapter 11 and then I saw we're going to have a whole bunch of families and guests here for the beautiful, cute kids Christmas program, like this is going to be awesome. We're going to talk about Revelation 11 with a whole bunch of families in the room. It's going to be great. I think what we're going to find is there's a tremendous amount of hope. We've been in this series called Revealing the Light on the Book of Revelation, and I pray that over these last few weeks, as Minister Bonnie and Pastor Brian and several others on Wednesday nights have walked us through the themes of Revelation, that you are filled with an incredible sense of hope, yes, even reading Revelation. But if we're honest, if you're new today, or you haven't read the book of Revelation, or you've only seen the movies, or you, oh, it's just left behind, and it's all the cultural references, maybe hope is not the first thing that comes to mind when you think about the book of Revelation. For a lot of us, we base our understanding of Revelation on our assumptions. So if you go to the next slide, there are some things that we want to make clear to you before we go any farther with the series of what Revelation isn't. What it isn't, and these are our assumptions, we just assume, well, it's confusing. There's all this imagery and numbers and symbolism, and it's very confusing. And if we haven't made it clear by now... Revelation is not some confusing puzzle that we have to figure out on our own to discern the end of the world. That is not, that is by far not why the book of Revelation was written. Amen? Can we just all agree on that? Okay, we've learned that so far. Number two, people say, ah, 
It's just depressing. This God of anger and wrath and destruction, and it's just a God that wants to destroy the world, and maybe that was your experience growing up. Maybe you grew up in a church where God is angry, and he's that big angry man up in heaven with a giant ruler ready to slap your wrist when you screw up, just waiting for you to sin. God is angry and out to get you. That's not the God that we see in the book of Revelation either. And last but not least, what it isn't, (laughs) irrelevant. You know, we have all the different ideas out there about the end of the world, and some of you just like, ah, pre-millennium, post-millennia, millennialist, all those different terms that we throw around. Some of you are like, I'm a pan-millennialist. It'll all pan out in the end. That's your view. And so I'm just not going to worry about it. It'll all work out. It doesn't really matter. Well, that's not true either. It absolutely matters. It matters more than we could ever imagine, and we're going to discover that none of those things are true. Instead, what is the book of Revelation? Just a quick review. It is a revelation from Jesus about Jesus. And I say that because a lot of times we hear revelation and we think, oh, it's 666 and it's the mark of the beast and it's about dragons and destructions or it's about evil, it's about Satan. It's about fear. Not at all. Revelation is from Jesus all about Jesus. Number two, it's written by John the Apostle. Number three, it is written to real people in seven churches in Asia Minor that are dealing with some serious things. Persecution by the Roman Empire. Complacency, trying to be lukewarm, as Pastor Brian talked about last week. Even conformity, just trying to fit in with the culture around them. Yeah, it's too bad Revelation isn't relevant at all for us, because I'm sure none of us struggle with any of those things, right? Finally, Revelation is filled with visions and images that point to Jesus' return, his ultimate return as king. That's what Revelation is about. It is written, finally, in an apocalyptic genre. There's a lot of different literary styles in the Bible. This one is apocalyptic. What does apocalyptic really mean? It means to reveal. And so there's a lot of different apocalyptic literature throughout the books of the Bible, and that type of literature can be defined this way. Symbolic visions that reveal a heavenly perspective on history, get this, in light of its final outcome. As followers of Jesus, as Christians, we are called to live now in light of the end. Because when you know who's writing the story and you know how the story ends, it changes everything. That is the genre that we are diving into. When you know the end of the story, it changes everything. I remember when our son Caleb, that was one of the readers up here this morning, was a lot younger, maybe four or five, we weren't quite ready in the movie department for Star Wars yet. We're not quite there. We're there now, but we haven't quite gotten there. So we started with Lion King. And so we got to that part in Lion King when it's Mufasa, sorry, spoiler alert, his dad dies, Mufasa dies in the stampede, and I'll never forget, he leans over to me on the couch and he goes, Daddy, can we fast forward? I don't want to watch this part. And so we do, and the rest of it's good, and it's fun, and Timon and Pumbaa, woo, Hakuna Matata, and we get to the end, and there's this fight right between Simba and, and Scar, and there's this battle of good and evil, and he's like, Daddy, no, 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 it's too scary, I don't want to watch it. Fast forward, and we get to the end, and everything works out, and Simba is king, and the world is put back together, and all is good. And I'll never forget, maybe another few weeks or another month goes by, is, Daddy, can we watch Lion King again? I'm like, okay. And we start watching, and we get to the stampede, to the scary part, and I go, but do you want me to fast forward? He's like, no, I'm good. 
I'm like, okay, if you're good, I'm good. And we watch all the way through. We get to the end, and there's the evil battle. I'm like, you good? You want daddy to fast forward it? No, and I'm kind of playing off a little bit, so I kind of throw myself under the bus a little bit. I'm like, are you sure? Because, like, what if daddy gets a little scared? And I'll never forget what my five-year-old son said. He said, daddy, it's okay. We know how it ends. Sometimes it takes kids to make the complex very simple. When you know the end of the story, it changes everything, and we can live our lives in light of that. That is the goal of Revelation. So let's read our passage today in light of that. If you have your Bibles, look at Revelation chapter 11. At the surface, this passage that Mimi read for us this morning does not exactly fill you with hope. We've got fire coming out of people's eyes and God's wrath and anger. So how do we make sense of this? Let's look at verse 4. These two prophets, these witnesses, are two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of all the earth. Verse 5. If anyone tries to harm them, fire flashes from their mouths and consumes their enemies. This is why the book of Revelation is the favorite book of the Bible for 13 and 14-year-old boys. They love this stuff, okay? What is going on? It's important to remember that Revelation is filled with images. It's filled with imagery. And those images and those symbols are symbols that point to something larger. So we discover that these two witnesses will somehow be representatives to the nations. God, excuse me, John calls them lampstands. And if you've done your homework and you've been reading along in the book of Revelation, we know that earlier in the book, lampstands are used to refer to what? The churches. The seven churches. Real people, just like you and I, imperfect, broken followers of Jesus that are living in persecution. So you could say the vision is more likely, it's not two witnesses, and so this is just helpful as you read throughout Revelation. This is not necessarily two people, but this symbolism is speaking to the church, to all of Jesus' followers who are called to be a prophetic voice to the nation to call people back to God. This is a vision for our destiny as followers of Jesus. Well, you keep reading on the story, this horrible beast that comes, remember, not an actual beast, and kills all of these witnesses, hinting maybe at those among the believers who will become martyrs or die for their faith, as many scholars believe. But watch this. God brings them back to life. He breathes his life back into them, hinting back to the book of Genesis of God breathing the breath of life into Adam and Eve. He vindicates them in front of their persecutors, and the result is is that many nations do repent and turn back to God. Notice, people's hearts are hard. The nations are not returning back to God until the church starts being the church. Amen? If you read between the lines, you'll see that when the church starts living into its divine calling to be a witness to the Lamb, to be a witness to Jesus Christ, that's when things start happening. Secondly, God never wastes our pain. God never wastes our pain. And this is why it's so important. If you read Revelation, you could read it as a 21st century American Christian and completely miss the point because it wasn't written to you. It wasn't written to me. We can certainly learn things from it. It is the divinely inspired word of God. But the original audience, and I want to challenge you this morning, is to read it as a first century Jewish Christian that for multiple generations has been conquered and killed by one evil empire, or could you say 
beast after another. There's beasts out there, and there's beasts out here. Sometimes in our lives we think, well, there's good people and there's bad people, and I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I think I'm on Santa's nice list, right? I, I'm pretty much over here, and then there's the evil people over here. What Revelation is telling us is that there's beasts out there, and then there's the beast called the flesh in here. And the line between good and evil is not good people over here and bad people over there. The line between good and evil runs right through the middle of every single one of us. So when you read about the beast, I don't want you to think so much like Harry Potter kind of imagery here. I want you to think about, oh, there's a beast inside of me that needs to be killed, to kill the flesh or my old sinful nature. So there's these first century Jewish Christians, they're reading this and they're going, wait, we've been conquered by one beast after another and they've killed my ancestors after another, going all the way back to Pharaoh in Egypt and then to Babylon and now Rome. And if you're a first century Jewish Christian reading Revelation 11, you are asking yourself, is there hope? Help us, Obi-Wan, you're our only hope. Is there hope? I'm trying to live out my faith here, but everybody around me is dying because of it. Is it worth it? Is this all going to work out? And if you're reading this, you're going, this could not be better news. We read Revelation, we're like, this is weird and scary. Can we just skip it and get to the good stuff? If you're a first century Jewish Christian, you're going, this is good news. This is like reading the Star Wars plot and going, that's just not some fairy tale over there. This is a true story that is going to happen and come to fruition in my life. Evil will not get the last word. Amen? That is the message of Revelation chapter 11. Okay? So these trumpets are blowing, these prophetic voices of the church are blowing, and look at verse 15 as the good news continues. The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. We're talking about the final days here. And he will reign forever and ever. It's where we get the hallelujah chorus that we hear a lot this time of year. Verse 16. The 24 elders sitting on their thrones, many scholars would believe that represents the church, before God fell on their faces to the ground and worshipped him. And they said, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who always is and was, and now you have assumed your great power and began to reign. The nations were filled with wrath, but now the time of your wrath has come. It is time to judge the dead and reward your servants, the prophets, as well as your holy people and all who fear your name. And it goes on from there. We're getting this image of the final days. And so what do we learn here? Two things I want to highlight for you. What do we learn? Number one, ready or not, he's coming, right? Ready or not? Oh, one more time. Ready or not, he's coming. There will be a day. Jesus is certainly coming back. He has come once, and that is what we're celebrating here in a few weeks, but he is coming again, and there will be judgment for all people. We say it in the Apostles' Creed, if you grew up with that as a part of your church tradition. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. That is right out of Revelation chapter 11 and a few other places right here. What do we learn? What we do with the good news of Jesus Christ matters. This is not a throwaway. What you do this side of heaven with your life matters. Don't waste your life living for trivial things. Don't waste your life not knowing and having a relationship with Jesus Christ. What you do with Jesus matters for eternity. Amen? 
Nothing could be more important. There is judgment for all of us, but the gift of eternal life comes to those that have put their faith in Jesus. I'm going to say this, and I want you to just breathe it in for a second. Heaven is not full of really good people. Heaven is full of forgiven people. Heaven is full of people that have put their faith, rather in their own, not in their own goodness, but in the goodness of Jesus Christ on their behalf. Amen? That is why revelation matters. That is why the end times matter. It's the goodness of Jesus, not our own. And you and I, what we do with revelation is we get so hyper-focused on God's anger and his judgment and his wrath. And because God is a God of love and justice, there is certainly justice there. But what we forget is that in the entire book of Revelation and most of Scripture, God is a good father who is pleading with his kids, saying, turn around, Stop running after things that are never going to fill you up. Stop running away from me. And his heart is pleading with them, and he's pleading with you this morning. If you're going away from God, turn around, which is literally what it means to repent. Turn around and come back to me as a good and loving father. He's pleading with them. Second Peter chapter 3 puts it this way. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Like some of us are like, Jesus, can you just come back already? I'm ready. I don't know about you. I'm ready too. But here's why. Instead, he's patient with you. I don't know about you, but God has been so patient with me. You ever have those moments in your life, if it would not have been for God, he is so patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish. It's right there in God's word. Let's not be the type of Bible readers that pick up Revelation, open it up to a random page, point to a verse and say, there, God's angry and wants to send people to hell. That's not the heart of God. You have to look at the totality of scripture and how patient he has been. He wants everybody to come to repentance. God wants everybody. God is a God who wants heaven to be crowded, and that's why it's our mission as a church. Amen? This is who we have been called to be. Number one, ready or not, he's coming. He's coming. And number two, it's not over till it's good. Everybody say, it's not over. over. Say, till it's good. It's not over over. till it's good. It's not over till it's good. We're going to sing that at the end of the service. Yes, Jesus is coming back, but it is not to destroy the world. Brother, I got some really good news. This is super fun. Look at verse 15, okay? The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord. Oh, wait a minute. This new heaven and this new earth are not two separate things anymore. They've become one. Skip ahead to the end of Revelation chapter 21, verse 2. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. The last time I checked, Jesus did not say, Behold, I am making all new things. He said, Behold, I am making all things new. I'm not destroying everything, I'm restoring everything. Meaning as Christians, when we look at the world around us, the response is not to watch the evening news and say, ah, the world's going to hell. The world's falling apart. The world's broken. Our response as Christians is that one day, Jesus is literally going to bring all of heaven and his kingdom to earth, and we get to be a part of that process and join him now. Amen? Why else, why else would Jesus have taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? Why would he have taught us to pray that if he was just going to destroy it all? 
Some of us have a view of the end of the world that's based on Hollywood instead of a holy and righteous God. Read your Bible, church. Read your Bible, church. It's maybe not what you think it is. Why else would Jesus have taught us to pray that? When, when the Bible speaks of the last days, by the way, the phrase end times, not in the Bible. The Bible speaks of the last days, and when he does that, it's not violence, it's not God destroying the earth. The last days refer to when God is going to restore all things. And I want you to hear me loud and clear. Restoring all things, including bodies that have been destroyed by cancer. Restoring all things includes minds that are overcome with depression and suicidal thoughts. All things include countries that are at war and torn apart by war. All things include hearts broken from relationships. All things include loved ones that you are mourning because they're not going to be at Christmas this year lost to death. All things new means all things. Everybody say all things. All things. What does that mean? That it's not over till it's good. It's not over till it's good. For first century Jews that are being persecuted and oppressed, it's not over till it's good. For children that are the same age as those that were on the stage this morning that are in Israel and Gaza and surrounding countries this morning that don't know where their parents are and are homeless and looking for something to eat, it's not over until it's good. And for you this morning, whatever you're up against, it's not over until it's good. Somebody needs to hear this this morning. Never give up on God. Never give up on God. We don't know when it will be good. Okay, Pastor John, it's not over until it's good, so when is it going to be good? I don't know, and we don't know. And if somebody tells you that Jesus is coming back tomorrow because they watched it on Fox News or CNN, you can say, read your Bible, okay? Because nobody knows. Only the Father knows. We don't know when it'll work out, but our confidence, our hope is not in our cognitive ability to understand when it'll all work out. Our confidence is in Jesus' ability to provide. My confidence is not in my ability to understand. My confidence is in his ability to provide. When you know who's writing your story and you know the end of the story, it changes everything. And so I want to offer you two challenges today from the book of Revelation, particularly chapter 11. Two invitations today because we know the book of Revelation. Number one, live with radical purpose. Everybody say purpose. 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 We have a purpose now, not just later. And hear me say this loud and clear. I long for heaven. Yes, this is one of your pastors saying, I'm just ready to be done whenever. Amen? I don't know about you. I long for that day. I long, but not for an eternal church service in the sky. I long to get the kingdom back alongside of you. I long for all things to be made new. That's what I long for. But Christianity isn't standing around and waiting for heaven someday. It's about joining Jesus and bringing heaven to earth right now. And I think that we can get so fixated as Christians on someday in the great by and by, I'll fly away, right? Great song, 
maybe not the greatest theology, we get so focused on, can I just get out of here and get away from this terrible, broken world? Careful, that terrible, broken world is the one that God is going to restore. I think we're ready to escape, and God is ready to break in. Not just in a cosmic sense, but just think about it for yourself for a second. Could it be that what we're looking for a way out of, God's looking for a way into? Is there a situation in your life where your deepest prayer these days is, God, just get me through it. God, just get me out of it. And God's saying, I'm looking for a way into it. If you would open up your heart and invite me in. God says, I want to work through you in this, whatever that is. I want to show you my great strength in this. I know that your marriage seems hopeless. I know that you are exhausted from parenting right now. I know that this job is not ideal, but believe it or not, God says, I have a purpose for you right in the middle of it. And it might take unlocking your heart. Some of us aren't seeing God move. We can't receive anything because our hands are clenched so tight in bitterness or hurt or wounds, even if they've come from the church at some point. God might be inviting you to unlock your heart, to lay down bitterness and hurt, to humble yourself and pray, Lord, show me what you can do in it. Not when I escape it, not when I get through it, but right here in the middle of it, God's kingdom is breaking through. What if we spent a little bit less time worrying about the end of the world and twice the amount of time bringing more people into God's kingdom now? Amen? What if, what if Hope Elam was the kind of church that when we think about the book of Revelation, the first thing that comes to mind is, I got to tell more people. I got to get the word out more. Yeah, I know there's all this weird imagery and symbols and all of that, but all of that is pointing to a day when Jesus is going to restore all things and anything you've ever hoped for and desired in your life is going to come true. Don't you want as many people as possible to experience that? When's the last time you invited somebody to church? When's the last time you invited somebody or shared the good news of Jesus with them? We've got to tell people. I don't know how you can read the book of Revelation and be lukewarm about it, right? We don't want to be hot. We want to be hot. We don't want to be cold or lukewarm. We want to be on fire for Jesus, amen? Let's be that kind of a church. Let's get the word out as much as possible. Live for something that matters, because on the last days, last time I checked, there's only one person on the throne. And it's not me and it's not you, it's him. And so my question for you is, are you spending your days on this earth building your kingdom or his? People are starting to think about 2024 and all your big goals and plans. What are you going to do in 2024 that's going to last longer than you? What are you spending your time on that is actually going to last for eternity, to be a part of something that will last. We have been talking about that over the last couple months as we've been in the middle of the Shining the Light campaign that we wrapped up a few weeks ago. And if you weren't here last weekend, we may, go ahead and go to the next slide. We made the exciting announcement that gifts and pledges to this point, $1,058,638.04. Give God praise for that. Amen. So exciting, so exciting. 
Here's the thing. Some of you, some people look at that and say, holy cow, that's a lot of money. That was my initial response too. Today I'm looking at that and going, wow, how much more of heaven can touch earth? And sometimes we think it's these big cosmic scenes in the book of Revelation. Sometimes heaven touching earth is kids at Joshua Christian Academy being able to go to school and not sitting in a 90-degree room. Sometimes heaven touching earth is people that are hungry being able to eat. Sometimes heaven touching earth is people that don't have a ride to church being able to have a ride to church. Sometimes heaven touching earth is people that are battling brokenness and addictions being able to come to groups here at the church and find the healing and and have Jesus break their chains of addiction. Sometimes heaven touching earth is last weekend when over a hundred women heard about the love of Jesus Christ at our annual women's Christmas dinner as the men serve that together. Praise God for an amazing night with that, right? Heaven touching earth. Get this. Sometimes heaven touching earth is over 140 kids that through your generosity of joy to the city, those parents that could not afford it otherwise are going to be able to have the dignity to give their kids a Christmas present this year. Praise God for heaven touching earth. We have another opportunity to do that on Christmas Day. You heard about with the aid program and that ministry reaching out to all of those families to have a Christmas meal together and Christmas gifts for those kids that otherwise wouldn't have an opportunity. Heaven is touching earth. And my favorite one, if you were around last weekend, it might be one of the highlights of my year. This is my brother, Davon. He'd probably be here at the second service, but last week at the 11 o'clock service, Davon had been away from church for a long, long time. He'd gone down some roads that nobody ever wants to go on. And several weeks ago, he came back and he said, I'm ready. I'm ready to turn back. I'm ready to repent. I'm ready to put my faith in Jesus Christ. And he said, I want to get baptized. And I said, when? And he's like, as soon as possible. I said, how about next week? And we made it happen. And we baptized him right up here. And I put the water over his head. And apparently, he didn't get enough because he took the bowl and he put his hands in it. And he splashed on some extra, right? (laughs) Praise God for heaven touching earth, right? That's what it's all about. (laughs) that's why your giving matters. That's why what we're doing as a church matters. Because as a church, we live with radical purpose. And secondly, we live with radical hope. Everybody say purpose. Purpose. Everybody say hope. 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 Now, I don't know how your hope meter's doing right now, but it's really important that we define hope because some of you have defined hope as, uh, I don't know, optimism, wishful thinking about the future. The Bible does not define hope based on circumstances. The Bible defines hope based on a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. One of the Hebrew words in the Old Testament, there's several words for hope, is the same word for wait as kava. Everybody say kava. I'll turn to your neighbor and say, I apologize if I spit on you. Say kava. Kava, right? You don't want to spit on him, right? Kava literally means to bind together like a cord. It's important that we don't read into this with our American English view of hope or waiting. Kava is literally the strands, the tiny little strands that make up a rope, and the stronger and the more interwoven that those three individual strands are together, the stronger that rope is. 
The Hebrew understanding of hope is almost like, do you remember at school or a party, you have like a little three-legged race? And it's you and one other person, and you've got one free leg, and then you've got your leg together in the middle, and you get wrapped up or intertwined with the person that's next to you. And you know the goal of being intertwined or bound to somebody else is that in a three-legged race, you're trying to win, so you're trying to be in sync with that other person. So you're wrapped up with that person that's next to you, and you want to be in sync with them. The Hebrew understanding of hope that we have because of the book of Revelation is that when God moves, you move. If you're intertwined with the Lord, when he moves, you move. And when he pauses, you pause. And when he says to wait, you wait because you are intertwined. You are wrapped up. You are waiting. You are hoping. You are putting your kava in Jesus. You are waiting for him. And so when he shows up, you show up. Hoping in the Lord is not sitting by and being passive. Some people think that praying is somehow passive. We need to take action. There's nothing more action-oriented that you could do than to wait or hope or kava in the Lord. It's not sending a few prayers up to heaven and hoping that God will change your circumstances. If I'm hoping in the Lord, I have tethered myself to Jesus Christ. I am in sync with him. And so when I kava myself, when I put my hope in him, when he shows up, I show up. When he moves, I move. When he pauses, I pause. When he serves, I serve. I am right there with him. I'm not passively standing by. And we know that Isaiah tells us it's the same word, kava, that those who intertwine, that those who kava, who wait or hope and tie their life up with God, they will renew their strength. How do you find hope this Christmas season? You get wrapped up with Jesus. You link up to him. In fact, Paul says this in Romans chapter 6, verse 5. He says this, If we have been united with him in a death like his, then certainly we will be united with him in a resurrection like his. In other words, when you put your hope in Jesus, when you're intertwined and locked up with him, whatever happens with Jesus happens to you. And when Jesus went to that cross and came walking out of that empty tomb, it's like Jesus rose his foot up and squashed the power of sin, hell, and death together. And whatever Jesus does, if I'm linked up with him, that means that you have the same power living inside of you to squash the power of sin, death, and hell. Amen? Because Jesus is a conqueror. You are a conqueror. That's what it means to put your hope in Jesus. That's where real hope comes from. It's not over until it's good. I don't know where you're at in your story, but the next time that the enemy comes and says, you are defined by that mistake. You are defined by your past. You are defined by that identity that the world has given you. You are defined by this moment, this previous chapter in your story. Number one, you can tell the enemy, you can say it and call it a lie from the pit of hell, and you can tell your enemy that last time I checked, that God is the one that is writing my story. He's the author. And last time I checked, he's not done yet. Amen? He's not done with my story yet. I'm linked up with him. When you know the end of the story, it changes everything. I remember the first time that I went to see the final episode of Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, and I knew that for as much darkness and death and destruction and evil as there was, 
I knew we hadn't gotten to the end yet. Because it's not over till it's good. We had not gotten the uh, revelation from Star Wars yet. We hadn't gotten to the end. And as you watch this trailer for The Rise of Skywalker, I don't want you to view it as a Star Wars fan. I want you to view it and think, wow, that kind of seems like Revelation chapter 11 to me. A little dark, a little scary, good versus evil, light versus dark, and in the end, an incredible story that ends with hope. Take a look. I don't know about you, but when I watch things like that, something deep inside, I think the correct spiritual term is, (sighs) and do you want to know why? Because you were not created to simply get by or survive or go through the motions. You are a part of the greatest story ever told, a story in which it's borrowed its plot in every single story and movie and film and book that you have ever loved is whispering to you the name of Jesus. Oh, sure, the destiny of every Jedi is to confront fear. Your destiny, because of the book of Revelation, is to stare fear in the face and say, you do not have the final word. Jesus has the final word. And because of that, cancer doesn't win, depression doesn't win, isolation doesn't win, anxiety doesn't win, death doesn't win, because Jesus is alive. Amen? Fear is not our future. Let's stand and let's sing about it. Wherever you're at, let's stand and let's worship together. Thanks so much for joining us. To find out more about Hope Elam, follow us on Instagram at hope.elam or visit our website at hope-elam.org.